Once again, Lieutenant Nauer about Robert Nauer Unfiltered. And this particular episode 11 is going to be a little bit disjointed because I have been talking about the USS John F. Kennedy and Captain Jerry O'Tuttle. But now I'm going to launch into, uh, after I had <clears throat> served a couple of more tours ashore, uh, I made a couple of mistakes that we all make when we're looking for jobs, looking for promotions, thinking that the grass is always greener on the other side. And it led me to the future that I had in a roundabout way, and at the same time made life very difficult for the first couple years afterwards. And you'll see what I'm talking about when I start. But I think the thing is that you never really know where you're going to end up in life. People say, oh yeah, you can pretty much think it out. No, you can't. Sometimes you take the road less traveled. Sometimes you take the road greatly traveled. Sometimes you take a really broken road that gets you into a lot of trouble when all you had to do was just follow some good sound advice. In my last episode, I was talking about how bad Captain Jerry O'Tuttle was in terms of his morality, the way he treated his crew. Um, one of the things that I said in my last episode was that Tuttle told one young man at captain's mass that the only good thing about him was the day that he dripped down his mother's leg. That was pretty inhumane for anybody to do. But then again, you know, you never think that you're going to meet somebody just as bad as Tuttle. Tuttle was bad in his own way in that he was a Napoleon complex. He was abusive to everybody uh, and just basically mean. But then I found somebody equally as heinous, actually worse, and that was on the USS San Jose, Captain Melvin D. Munsinger. And Munsinger was personal friends uh, and classmates of Admiral Muston, who went to the academy with him. And had I known that, well, it might have had a different outcome had I known that. But I made the fatal mistake of always thinking that the grass is greener on the other side when it really is not. And you young people out there that might listen to this podcast, you really need to think long and hard when your parents or a good mentor gives you a piece of advice. You should probably take it. Because had I taken the advice that Captain Bob Finnick the commanding officer of Naval Supply Center Puget Sound, gave me. Way back when I was think of, thinking about departing Combat Systems Technical Schools Command in Mare Island as the supply officer and going to my next shipboard tour or REDCOM tour. And remember, I was a TAR officer. I wasn't a reservist per se, and I wasn't a uh, regular Navy. I was a TAR. And... I wasn't getting advice from anybody, and so I kind of sought my own advice, and, and I said, the only person I know that will give me sound advice is Captain Bob Fennec, Navy Supply Corps. 
commanding officer. So I called my old ASO assistant, and I got him in the middle of a meeting, and he was a little pissed off, and I said, Bob, you remember me? He said, oh, yeah, I remember you. He said, what you need, Bob? I said, well, I think I need to go to a hard-charging ship like an AO, an AOE, or an AFS, something that's really a demanding ship in order to get promoted. He said, no, you don't. I said, well, I, I, I don't know. I think I do. He said, well, tell me what you want. My, my time's precious right now. I'm in the middle of a meeting. And I said, I want to go to an AFS out in the Pacific. And he said, are you goddamn sure you want to do that? He goes, I don't think that's a good idea. He goes, you're in sales. You're a supply officer. Why don't you go to a Navy exchange? Um, and the thing was, I had been offered a billet as the NEO, the Navy exchange officer in Naval Air Station Siganilla, Italy where I would have been under the tutelage of my good old friend, and he was a great guy, uh, Captain Bob Earlston, who was a Mustanger. And I loved Bob. Bob and we all got along great, and he loved his wife, too. Why the fuck I didn't go there is beyond me. I mean, I must have had my own head so far up my ass, I didn't know up from down. And I said... Well, you know, Bob, they've offered me NAS Siganilla as the NEO, and my wife would have to go to La Maddalena, which is 80 miles away. But we'd hardly ever see each other. And uh, he goes, well, what makes you think if you go to an AFS in the Pacific that you're going to see your wife? And I thought, and I said, well, yeah, you're probably right. And I said, but I, I think I really need a good, hard-charging uh a float tour. He goes, okay, well, if that's what you want, I'll call the detailers and tell them, but personally, I think you're making a really big mistake. I think you take, should take the NEO job at NAS Siganella. Well, in hindsight, I probably should have done that. I could have seen my wife on the weekends, every weekend, and it would have been like a, a honeymoon or something, but new, 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 new. As a young whippersnapper, 27-year-old, I thought I knew better. So I went ahead and wanted him to get me that AFS billet. And he did. And he got me orders to the USS San Jose out of Guam, Aganya, Guam. When the commanding officer there was a guy by the name of Melvin D. Munsinger. And oh my God, I wish I had researched him because I would have reneged on my orders had I known what an asshole this guy was. Because ultimately what happened was when I did get assigned to that ship and after spending almost a year on board, I just couldn't take it anymore. I had seen him kill endangered species, pods of sperm whales with the XO, and uh, that was all reported to the Navy Inspector General and they swept it under the carpet. Uh, he had run over a um, bunch of fishing boats at night, which was against the international rules of the road, and a couple of Korean fishermen were killed, and he tried to sweep that under the carpet. 
He did things on board the ship to people that were totally illegal and against Navy regulations. He was inhumane in his treatment of many enlisted and as well as officers, let alone supply officers. So by the time I got to the point after a year of being there in Masiro Oman, Indian Ocean, Diego Garcia, and on the way back um, through the Arabian Sea, he and the XO had shot and killed an entire pod of sperm whales, which was a felony. If But back then, we didn't have digital cameras. Back then, we didn't have iPhones. Back then, we didn't have cameras that we could have just run to and taken photos or videotapes. The only big cameras they had were these humongous beta machines that were like as big as a, something you'd see in a football game. Um, we just didn't have recording devices that you could have just whipped out of your pocket and taken images of the captain and the XO. Oh, and the chaplain, too. The chaplain was up there on the bridge when they were doing it, too, and didn't do anything to stop it. So that was the straw that broke the camel's back for me. I had, up until that point, I had really thoroughly loved my Navy career, enjoyed everything I had done, even with some shitty COs. And to this day, I still love the Navy. The Navy is one of my most respected organizations, but the Navy has a lot of bad in it. It has a lot of bad in it. Bad treatment of women, bad treatment of gays and homosexuals, lesbians. Um, There's just, the Navy has a very hard time adapting to change. And at the time I went aboard the Hoser with Melvin D. Munsinger, um, he was old school. And this is kind of how he reacted to me at one dress inspection we had on the fantail. He came up to me and he said, Nower, do you know why I don't have an ass? And I thought, oh, that's a weird question to ask a junior officer. I said, no, sir, I do not know why you do not have an ass. I hadn't really noticed. And then I bobbed my head to the left and looked at his ass with the XO behind him which we called Mutton Jeff. And I I said, wow, sir, you really don't have an ass. Well, the guy really did not have an ass. He was one of those people that didn't have buttocks. Man, I, I'd hate to have seen him naked, but he had no ass. And his way of compensating for it, just like a uh, person with a Napoleon complex, was to say to me, well, you know the reason I don't have an ass, Mr. Nower." And I said, no, sir, Captain, I don't. But I suppose you're going to tell me. And this is all during the middle of a formal dress inspection on the fantail in 95-degree weather with our dress blues on, no shit. And he goes, well, it's because I had my ass shot off by two SAM missiles over Hanoi. And that's how I got these two silver stars here on my chest. And I said, aha, well, that would explain it, sir, why you don't have an ass. And he looked at me with one eye and he goes, now you know the story. And I said, I guess I do. And all the enlisted men behind me and um, and Dave Boyd and a bunch of others that were standing next to me, we, all, we, we they were all chuckling because evidently they had heard that story numerous times before. But that's how freaking weird the guy was. Anyway, uh, the one thing I'd like 
anybody who listens to this to know is that I wrote a novel, a 685-page novel about my time on board the San Jose. It's not called the San Jose, though. It's called uh, the USS San Clemente, and it's a fictitious book that I tried to make uh, different and interesting. However, I will say that some of the incidents that are in the book are very, very similar to what happened to me on board the USS San Jose. Uh, So you'll have to read the book. It's called Murder on Steel Beach, a Navy story. It's on Amazon and Audible. It's called Murder on Steel Beach, a Navy story by Robert Nauer, K-N-A-U-E-R. Anyway, so Munsinger was a real asshole, but what I didn't realize was when I had sent him a letter that I was coming aboard, and normally you write a formal letter to your prospective commanding officer, and you say, sir, I'm coming to your ship, uh, looking for any advice or anything you can tell me, uh, have your public affairs officer send, send me any information. I never received a response by snail mail. And I had sent the letter four months before, and he should have received it, and I should have gotten a response. So before I left uh, Mare Island, California, I still hadn't got a response. So finally, I stayed up late one night because Guam was one day ahead of us. Ahead of us? Yeah, ahead of us. Um, It's tomorrow there already. And uh, I had to stay up till like 11 o'clock at night in order to get them. And I, I finally got Lieutenant Boyd to come to the phone, and I called him on Audubon. And he said, hey, this is Dave Boyd's uh, supply officer here. And I said, Dave, I said, "Uh, you know, I'm the new guy. He goes, yeah, I know. Uh, We've heard about you. He said, Bobby, he said, you need not come to this ship. If you can get your orders canceled, you need to do so and do so fast. I said, what the fuck are you talking about, Dave? And he said, this captain's gunning for you. I said, well, what do you mean he's gunning for me? He says, he's a fuck, he's a real fuckwad, but he is gunning for you. And he said, he's gunning for you because of three things. One, you're married to an enlisted person, and he fucking hates that shit. He's old school. He fucking hates officers that are married to enlisted. And number two... You're not a regular officer. You're not a USNer like I am. And he even hates me because I'm a splicer. I said, he says, you're a TAR, training and reserves officer. And he goes, and he hates fucking reservists. And then to make final matters worse, your third strike is he hates you because you're a supply officer. And he hates all supply officers. So he hates you because you're married to an enlisted person. He hates you because you're a reserve officer. And he fucking hates you because you're a chop. So is there any way that you can get your orders canceled? I said, no, they've already issued my orders. I'm stuck. And he goes, oh, God bless you, son. He said, well, we'll see you when we pick you up in the Philippines. Because I had to fly from... Um, Travis Air Force Base out to Subic Be- uh, to Hickam Air uh, to Hickam first, and from Hickam we flew on to Clark Air Force Base, which no longer exists. And then from Clark, I had to catch a taxi down to Subic, um, and that's kind of how I ended up catching my ship in the Philippines. And it was a hot, hot. Muggy day. The Philippines is always muggy. The Philippines 
has 95% humidity almost 360 days a year. It's god-awful. It's a beautiful place, but it's god-awful with the humidity. And so I found the BOQ at QB Point, and I went to bed, and I, I just couldn't get to sleep. It was just so hot and humid. They didn't have air conditioning in the rooms. And all night long, I heard whores that other officers had brought back to the BOQ banging in the room and oh my god it was I didn't get a wink of sleep and then I had cockroaches crawling under the door and into the room I, we had flying cockroaches it was just god awful so I got up in the morning and I was just beat to shit I didn't get any sleep and I had to throw my duffel bag over my shoulder catch another taxi from the BOQ down to the pier where the hoser was waiting for me and uh, that was as far as they could take me. This I said, Mister, you have to get out here. This is as far as I can take you. You have to go through the gate over there and march all the way down to your ship. So I did. And I showed the Marine Corps guards my uh, papers for the San Jose. And I, they pointed me in the direction. I said, don't you guys have a car or something that can, can give me a lift down there? And he goes, no, sir. You got to. So I hoofed it all the way down to the pier, and by the time I got to the ship, my blouse was completely soaked. Coming down the brow of the ship was a lieutenant commander. Had dark colored skin, looked Hispanic in a way, and as I got closer and could read his name tag, it was Ikube, Lieutenant Commander Ikube. And I greeted him with a salute, and I said, uh, Commander, I said, uh, nice to meet you. And he goes, no, it's not. He goes, I'm just getting thrown off the ship here. Cap Captain Munsinger just fired my ass and is kicking me off here in the Philippines. No orders, no money, and i got to find my own goddamn way back to Guam. I said, you're kidding. He said, no. I said, what the hell did you do to piss the captain off? And he goes, nothing. I did my job. He just doesn't like minorities, and he doesn't like minorities telling him what to do thought to myself oh fuck he goes by the way are you that new guy that i've heard about coming to the ship that's married to the enlisted girl i said yeah it's me and he goes oh you poor fucker he goes he's gunning for you uh, you probably won't <coughs> you probably won't last as long as i did <coughs> i thought to myself wow that's really bad why did I ever come to this ship? I don't know. Just then I spied what looked to be like Lieutenant Boyd looking down on me, and he goes, Hey, now, or he goes, you the new guy? Yeah. He goes, he goes, and they're all being fun and making jokes of my reporting, going, Go back, go back, you don't want to come, go away, you go, whatever you can do, go away. Don't come to this ship. I said, a little too late for that guy. So I go, well, come on up and see us. So I trudged up the gangway to salute the ensign and then the OOD. And right then and there, um, SKM, SKCM Brown and Lieutenant Boyd noticed Captain Munsinger in the middle of the hangar bay. And they said, you better salute the captain. 
I said, but he's he's not within six paces. He's over a hundred paces away from me right now. You don't salute an officer that far away. You don't salute an officer generally until you're right up on him. And they go, it doesn't matter that Munsinger's fucking nuts. You better salute him. So, imagine me standing on the brow, facing the officer of the deck, who I've already saluted. The commanding officer is about 70 paces away from me on the opposite side of the ship that I could see through the hangar bay. And... I really didn't believe what they were telling me, but so like if you know anything about the the TV show Gunsmoke where uh, Matt Dillon would slowly at the beginning of every show walk getting ready to draw his gun and shoot, I started to slowly draw my hand, my saluting hand upward on my right hand and slowly inch by inch it started to come and then i noticed that as i slowly drew my hand upward for a salute i noticed the captain getting ready to also shoot me back with his salute and so i slowly started to speed up my salute and then within like a split second i popped a salute and then the captain, after I had already popped a salute to him, popped one right back to me. And I, and you don't drop your salute until the captain drops his salute. The captain stood there not dropping his salute. And so I had to hold my salute until the captain dropped his. And it seemed like an eternity. All the while I'm thinking in my head, oh, fuck. This guy's a fucking nutcase, too. And then finally the captain drops his salute, and I drop mine. And I kind of raised my eyebrows, looked over to the right to SKCM Brown and to Lieutenant Boyd and uh, to Lieutenant Freeburn, and I was like, this ain't good. <laughs> and so they helped me get checked in and everything, but that's the consequence of always thinking that you know best. If I'd have just gone on taken the original orders that I got to go to NAS Siganilla as the NEO, I would have made lieutenant commander in the next 12 months. But what happened by going to the San Jose and, and under Captain Munsinger, it altered my entire future i ended up being a whistleblower against him and the navy and the xo i kept him from making admiral because i had a congressional investigation that uh, convened after i found out that after i had gone to the navy inspector general admiral muston and they did nothing but sweep it under the carpet because it was prior to Tailhook and prior to Paula Coughlin. And at that time, the Navy always swept everything under the carpet, even though I also reported it to NIS, too, what this captain had done, manslaughter, killing endangered species, stealing government property, 
to the tune of a quarter million dollars and more. So my future, because I just couldn't, as a human being, I just couldn't look the other way when I saw endangered species being killed and slaughtered by a commanding officer. I just couldn't do it. I knew at that moment in time I had to resign my commission, get out of the Navy, and go on to bigger and better things. So I made my plans to do that. Uh, I had not yet resigned my commission, but I put in my papers to uh, to terminate and um, sent them on to the at, down the line to the Secretary of the Navy. And I, in my endorsement, in in my letter to the Secretary of the Navy, which the captain cannot change, the only thing the captain can do is forward or endorse it. He cannot alter because that would be uh, falsification. I put everything criminally that Munsinger had done in my resignation letter. And so the Secretary of the Navy saw everything, the manslaughter charges, the killing of endangered species, the stealing of government property, the destruction of cars and government property, and the abuse of personnel. And the Navy, from the Secretary of the Navy on down, tried to cover all that up. So by that time, I was working at DISC Philadelphia before I moved on to NSC Norfolk as a civilian contracting guy. And um, I had two NIS agents come to me at um, Philadelphia at my job, and they basically threatened me. They said, uh, you don't want to go public with this story. They were there not to investigate. They were there to threaten me, a whistleblower, for telling the truth about Munsinger and the XO. And, um, but I didn't let them intimidate me. I said, I can't believe that you guys in the Navy IG swept all this shit under the carpet. And I said, you don't tell me what to do. They said, well, bad things can happen to whistleblowers. That's what the Naval Investigative Service told me. Bad things can happen to whistleblowers. I said, fuck you. Fuck you and get out of here right now. And they left. Uh, a couple of days later, I get a phone call from a Navy captain at Navy IG at the Navy Yard in Washington, D.C., and he threatens me. He said, he said, Mr. Nauer, you don't want to go public with this story. He goes, we'll make sure that you never see your wife again. And I said, is that a threat? He goes, you can take it any way you want, but you're never going to see your wife again if you go public with this story. And so what did I do? I went public with the story. I um, went down to see Jack Anderson, one of the um, infamous reporters of muckraking of all time in Washington, D.C., and he assigned one of his reporters to go with me to the Navy Yard. And so I went to the Navy Yard, and I had this young reporter pretend to be my brother. And I said, I want my brother in here because this is my brother just to hear everything I have to say. And I recounted the whole story about what Munsinger had done, running over the fishing trawler fleet, destruction of property, blah, 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 killing endangered species. Meanwhile, the reporter got it all on tape. And, and then, not only did Jack Anderson 
report my story nationally and internationally. But then I went over to see Senator Proxmire, which was chairman of the Armed Services Committee, the Senate Armed Services Committee. Proxmire was one of the best guys in the world. He listened to me for almost six hours with uh, his chief of staff, and I recounted to uh, Doug Waller, his chief of staff at the time, and I guess um, administrator guy, everything that had happened on the ship. And Proxmire being a good Democrat and good caring person like he was and head of the Armed Services Committee, he didn't put up with shit like that. He says, he said to me, he said, sir, young man, he said, if what you're telling me is the truth, he goes, I will go to the ends of the earth to protect you and your wife. But he says, if you're lying to me, I will fucking castrate you. I said, I'm not lying, sir. Everything I'm telling you is the truth, God honest truth. And so he convened a congressional investigation and sent investigators all over the world to track down people that had been on the ship and take depositions. And sure enough, 16 officers and enlisted supported everything I said. They came back to Senator Proxmire and said, man, this kid's credible. Absolutely. Munsinger is a criminal. And... Um, you need to keep him from making Admiral. And they did. And But again, it was pre-Tailhook, pre-Paula Coughlin, pre-that time era. And so the only thing they really did bad to bad, bad captains back then was they basically let him retire. So by that time, Munsinger was already on the USS Constellation, an old, old carrier. But when it came time for promotions... They denied his promotion because of me. And so if there's any satisfaction in blowing the whistle, let alone ruining my career and ruining my wife's career, was the fact that I kept that SOB from ever making Admiral because he wanted it so bad. All Airedales want to make Admiral. So that's the story, and that's partly what the book Murder on Steel Beach, a Navy story, is all about. So if you want to read it, it's out there. Amazon Books, Kindle, and uh, Audible. You can get it at 17 hours long. But um, the moral to this story is when your mentor tells you that what you want is not good for you, listen to your mentor. I should have listened to Captain Bob Fennick. Bob had some good advice. And had I listened to it, I would have stayed in the Navy, made captain, and uh, because of my expertise in, in Navy exchanges, and uh, my wife would have made chief. But they blacklisted her because they couldn't get to me. And she was the very first female in the U.S. Navy to ever become SWAS qualified. And normally when you do that, you're an automatic shoe-in for CPO and what we found out later was when one of her friends became a, a detailer, he looked into her record and he said, yeah, your record, your wife's record is coded with a troublemaker mark. They coded her record that she was married to a troublemaker, me, and that is why she didn't make chief. She always felt bad about that, but nevertheless, our lives went on. We, we're pretty good. Financially, we ended up really good. And um, 
things worked out really well for me in contracting and then owning my own company. So, I, you know, in some ways, my awkward path leaving the Navy because of being a whistleblower, going into contracting, and then becoming a CEO of a consulting firm, all worked out for me. Probably if I'd have stayed in the Navy, become a captain, um, and I'd have still had a good retirement, it might not have worked out as good. I don't know. I will never know. But I'm just saying that sometimes the grass is not always greener on the other side, and you really need to have a mentor. And when you do have a mentor to listen to, as I did, I should have listened to my mentor, Captain Bob Finnick. Now, Bob died recently, a couple about two years ago. Bob was one of the best people I ever knew, along with Captain John Hanlon, who's passed away, and a bunch of other guys I know. Uh, Gordy White, Commander Gordy White, which was one of my assistants, wonderful human being, wonderful officer, wonderful commanding officer, too, uh, of NAS Jacks. Naval Supply Center. Uh, I've known some really good Navy people, good human beings. And I've also had the uh, misstep of knowing a few <laughs> real assholes, like Jerry O'Tuttle, who went by the handle of Slough for short little ugly fucker, and Melvin D. Munsinger. And if you Google either of those guys enough, uh, and pull their records, you'll see some awful hanky-panky kind of stuff that they had done. So, yes, the Navy is interesting, and I've got a few more stories I'm going to tell before I move into my final season, season three. Uh, but I'm going to continue doing a few more Navy stories before I opt to terminate season two and go into season three. But again, my book, uh, Murder on Steel Beach, a Navy story, is all based upon my time on the USS San Jose with Melvin D. Munsinger. And with that, Bob out.